What's going on, family? This is your boy, DJ Preach, the founder of The Life Show Radio. And I see that you're doing great things right now by keeping it locked here on the MTMV Sports Podcast. Y'all better be talking about the Carolina Panthers. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Know Your Personnel Podcast. We are on all major podcast apps. You can also find us on MTMV Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to both stations that you never miss an episode. Please remember to leave us a five-star rating. Download and share this episode with a friend so we can continue to grow the game. I'm very excited for our next guest. Let's jump in. All right, welcome back to the KYP Podcast. I have a very special guest for you today. Coach Reed, uh, from head coach from Laverne University, uh, is joining us today. Coach Reed, thank you very much for uh, doing this uh, doing this interview. Thank you, Coach. Excited to be here, man. Thank, thanks for having me. Um, coach, uh, you have a uh, long history in basketball as a player, uh, Division One coach, and now here as a, as a head coach at Laverne University. Why don't we start from the beginning and talk about your high school days and where you played and who you played for and what things you learned that you've carried on even to today? Yeah, so, uh, so I, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, play at Bishop Lamont High School. Uh, and I, I grew up, I was born and raised in La Puente, California, where Bishop Lamont High School is located, for those who don't know where Bishop Lamont is. And I uh, uh, had a tremendous high school experience. The, the high school coach I played for is a guy by the name of Alex Acosta. Uh, he, he also played at Bishop Lamont. He played at a at a univer a Division One school that's no longer around U.S. International University, and then he transferred to Citrus College, and, and then he ended up uh, finishing his career at the University of Redlands, which is in our conference. So uh, he was an MVP there and all Skyac guy, and, and so you know, really good player. And then he 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 got into his coaching career, and he's coached at numerous high schools, not just at Bishop Vermont. He's coached at Bishop Vermont, you know, Loyola High School, Lawndale. He's currently now the athletic director at Paramount. And he and I are very close, but, uh, you know, during those formative years of, of, of me being a high school basketball player, I was so fortunate to be able to play, play for him. Um, number one, he, he was, he's probably one of the most underrated X's and O's coaches I've ever been around. Um, I think he, he didn't get enough credit for his ability to teach the game. He was a tremendous teacher. Um, you know, we were very fundamentally sound players on our team knew their role. Um, he got guys to buy into those roles. We ran a very complex uh, motion offense based off Indiana principles. We had great sets, but he, he, he was tremendous in, in, in that area. But where he was really incredible was his ability to build relationships uh, with his players. And, and I learned so much from him on that front. And he, he really uh, was, was the second individual in my life that spent a tremendous amount of time with me. Um, I remember being a freshman in high school and, and, and sitting in his office, you know, before school, we had zero period and just talking basketball with my breakfast burrito and talking with him at lunch and, you know, and then after school practices, I mean, he spent a tremendous amount of time, you know, uh, with me and with, with, with players and, and players who actually needed it. Um, he was hard to play for. He challenged you every day. I was a point guard, so he's very hard on his point guards. It didn't matter if I threw the perfect bounce pass from half court and the guy slam dunked, he was yelling at me. If, if I turned it over, he was yelling at me. But, you know, what most people didn't see was all the things he did behind the scenes. I didn't have a car, so I had to, you know, walk about a mile and a half, two miles home. He, 
he oftentimes would would pick me up and drive me home and sit out in front of my house and, and we'd sit and talk for hours and um, so he had a tremendous impact on me by the time I finished high school I I was ready you know to kind of go on to the next step which was college I was prepared I mean I knew about offenses and defenses and schemes and but more importantly I knew how to be a leader I, I understood how to be you know stand up for what I believe in and 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 really take ownership and responsibility and I learned a lot of that you know first from my mother but that was reinforced by by him and and, and the other coaches I had growing up so um, he 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 and I still still talk to this day I call him you know usually once a month and uh, you know he's 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 a tremendous tremendous influence on my life um sounds like the more coaches that I interview the more uh fond they are of their high school coaches and the impact that they had on them. Um, you said that you, when you went to college, you were ready to be a leader. Can you expand on that just a little bit more and what that meant uh, when you stepped in as a freshman and you had those leadership skills already already built? So my journey is a little bit different, but uh, I'll explain it. So I, I, I got a scholarship to go to Cal State LA out of, at high school, and I registered it. I was a registered freshman on a team that uh, actually included um, the ball, Le- LeVar Ball, who I grew up with, um, he, he was, he and Tina, she wasn't Tina Ball at the time, but they, they were uh, my NYSP counselors at Cal State LA. And so I, I played with his two brothers um, at Cal State LA. I was a registered freshman. We had a great team and six freshmen registered. And, um, you know, obviously I wasn't the leader of that team, but I, I had to, I had to lead myself. And that was one of the things that my high school coach instilled in me. He said, you, you need to learn how to lead yourself before others will follow. You need to make sure your kitchen's in order. And so, you know, as a red shirt, you're doing a lot of things on your own, right? You're not participating in drills and practice. Sometimes you're just standing on the sidelines. So, you know, being able to get the freshman group together to go work out after practice, to go lift extra weights, to try to do whatever we could. I learned how to lead in that way. Um, you know, then after that, I went to a junior college for two years. And, um, you know, our starting point guard, you know, misses the season with an injury. And all of a sudden I'm thrust into starting after having not played competitive basketball for a year and, and having to learn how to lead there. And then that prepared me for my last two years at the University of Laverne where, uh, you know, again, uh, point guards were, were, are always been considered leaders. But in that era, it, it meant from calling offenses and defenses to out-of-bounds plays to having conversations with coaches. Uh, I learned how to have real, honest conversations with my teammates, with adults, holding people accountable, but not holding everyone, but not speaking to everyone the same way, learning what others needed from me as a leader, and ultimately taking on the responsibility of, you know, that that we as, as, as players have a part in this, and you as the point guard or you as a leader on this team people have these expectations of you so I felt like it just I became comfortable in that okay because it had been given that had been placed on me from the day I stepped foot on campus regardless of you know scoring or not scoring it was you are expected to lead this is what people expect from you because this is how you're built this is who you are and and people expected you to live up to that and you know coaches I had fostered that you know, and, and that wasn't that wasn't always easy, but it was it was necessary, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. You sound like you were a coach on the floor. I mean, you you organized extra workouts with the players. You you learned 
how to treat everybody fairly, but not the same. Um, and you learned all those things while conducting the offense and the defense on the floor. How do you teach that leadership to your point guards or do you? Well, yeah, you know, you, well, you know, I've been fortunate. Um, I'll tell you, it had, basketball has changed a little bit and I'll tell mm -hmm. you where it's changed. Um, you know, we're in an era of positionless basketball now, so everyone's a point guard, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, back then when positions were more defined, I think it was a little bit easier. And I've been fortunate enough to coach, you know, great point guards, one that you know, and in, in, in Keneal Mason, who mm -hmm. you know, uh, is our second all-time leading assist guy in school history, the first all-time leading assist guy in school history, was our first recruit at the University of Illinois when I got there. So we've been very fortunate to have a string of incredible point guards, people that lead in that manner, right? And so what you do, what, I, what I've learned, you know, having come from a family of coaches and teachers is, you know, you to whom much is given, much is expected. And you, you, like I said at the beginning, you first need to teach them how to lead themselves, how to get themselves organized, you know, make sure your kitchen's in order. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of it is, is you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, responsibility. Okay. So I give, I put a lot on our players. I give them a lot. And I, I don't expect them to be successful at everything that we, we give them. And through that it, failure, you learn. It's called failing forward, okay? And so I'm, I, I tell them, listen, I'm here to help you. I'm here to assist you. I'm here to be a resource for you, but I'm not going to do it for you. Because if I do it for you, I don't empower you. And we're here to empower you to be who you want to be. So – we talk a lot about that. Who do you want to be? What do you want it to look like? What's your responsibility in it? I, as teachers and educators, and I know you experience this yourself, it's don't rob them of the opportunity for things to be difficult. That's an opportunity for them to learn how to overcome obstacles and, and, and to really chart their course to where they want to go. I think that's huge, right? And I, don't, I never want to rob anyone of that opportunity, but we're there to assist and help them grow and empower them in, in that area. And I think that's how you teach leadership. You, you constantly, I don't want to force is not the word. It, it, it's, you try to build within your culture, that opportunity for them to lead. Uh, I, I really like where we're going here with this and falling forward. That's a, or excuse me, failing forward. Uh, that's a great, uh, great, great buzzword there. I've probably read a hundred books on coaching and basketball and leadership. I don't think I've ever heard that that term. Um, when you say you give them responsibilities, knowing that they're going to probably fail at first, what are some of the responsibilities that you give your players on your team? Examples, maybe specific examples of things that you give them or positions you put them in where you know they're going to struggle before they succeed. Okay. So one example, and, and, and I want to be clear, like when I say fail, I mean, it's just like, I look at failure and I want to define that for, for what sure. we talk about in our program. It's just, it, it, it's failure is, is research. And I know you've heard that term, but it, it's just, I don't look at it as, Oh, we, you know, we didn't win that game or that outcome um, wasn't what we wanted. So for example, I may look at something as successful, but you may look at something as it didn't go the way you wanted. So in your mind, you failed. So we, so I'd say, okay, let's talk about how do you want that to look, right? So one of the ways we do that is, I, I'm big on this. I'm big on players disciplining each other, okay? As coaches, you know, we have one perception of what might happen, and the players have another perception. And so you try to bridge the gap there. Well, 
they, you know, an area where they may fail is I may look at it and say, well, they did not handle that maybe the way I would have, or the message that they're trying to get across to this young man that we're trying to help isn't coming through in the way that they want it to. So we want to work through those steps. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, you know, like when we, when we, when we're trying to discipline each other or AKA hold each other accountable to something, you know, how do we look at that? You know, how do we as a group look at that? I look at it one way and our leadership council looks at it a different way. And they may decide that it's okay to let John off because, you know, we like John, but we're upset at, at, at Bill over here. So we're going to, we're going to make Bill's, you know, punishment more punitive than we would this guy. Well, is that what we want to be about? So how do we bridge that gap? How do we, you know, communicate with each other? Communication is another thing. I mean, I, I am constantly in this social media driven world trying to get our players to communicate with each other. So um, whether it's face to face, um, having them sit down face to face with each other in the office when, you know, as we as coaches know, we are all having these side conversations. I'm not a big side conversation guy. Um, you know, such and such doesn't agree with what such and such is doing. Well, let's get them both in the office and let's, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, however uncomfortable that may be for them in the beginning, um, there can be potential growth there. That, you know, that's one way where we try to give them leadership. We give them ownership in terms of, you know, what are our, you know, what are our team rules? I mean, I literally have, you know, two team rules, you know, two or three team rules. What, what do you want? What are, what are the rules for? These rules make sense. Constantly, you know, evaluating. Does, do the rules that we had last year fit for this year's team? So we try to craft new rules every year that fit this year's team, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, you know. Uh, where do you want to eat? Something as simple as that, making them make the decision. Hey, you're in charge of, of where we're going to eat, Okay. You find out from the team and, you know, that seems like an easy task, but, you know, we have 19 players and, you know, some guy doesn't want to eat Subway and, you know, another guy wants to eat at Denny's and, hey, figure it out. Where are we going? You know, have, you know, have an answer so that they understand that, um, you know, those types of things, just little simple things before we can kind of get to the hard stuff. And do you find that giving the players those types of responsibilities throughout the day, throughout the practice, throughout the season, do you find that that transfers over to the floor in a positive way? Absolutely. You know, basketball is a game of mistakes. Um, and really basketball is a, a game, a series of little mini battles, you know. And so we, you know, guys are going to turn the ball over. You know, guys are going to, you know, have blown assignments. You know, how are we going to get through that? So first that starts with the communication and leading each other. You know, are we – we're going to yell at each other when we get beat off the dribble here, or are we going to try to help each other? What are we going to do here? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what offense are we going to run? I don't, we have a lot of different quick hitters that we call and, and, and I'm usually hard on our, our, our lead guards or our handlers their first two years. And by the time they're, you know, a junior in our program, they should know what we're doing because mm -hmm. we, we teach them what we're doing in practice. Hey, you know, time and score. So by the time they become juniors and seniors, it should be a running conversation between, myself and them and so there's been a lot of times and I love this stuff where you know you know Keneal was great at this for example I, I'd signal in a play and he'd go no hey run this and I okay you're on the floor you've got it you see something I don't see you're from a different angle um, or in timeout situations what I love is those interactive timeouts where leadership where you know I always give the guys 
an opportunity to speak amongst themselves. And there's a lot of times I sit down with the better teams I've had that have leaders on it. And I'll put the whiteboard out and I'll say, okay, coach, here's, here's two or three things. And I'll say, okay, here are the two or three things I see. So you want to run this, you want to run this. Hey, let's run this. You know, where it's, it's an actual open dialogue and they're, they're orchestrating it. Or I'll come into a timeout and, you know, one of our leaders will say, coach, you got it. What do you want us to run here? You know, as saying, hey, we need you to lead here in this way. So it's that constant feedback that I'm looking for, that our coaching staff is looking for, because it's a shared experience. Um, you had several um, coaching stops on your way before you became the head coach at Laverne. You coached at Cal Poly Pomona, uh, Loyola Marymount, Northern Colorado, and Sacramento State. How did working at the Division One level at Loyola, uh, Colorado, Northern Colorado, I assume they're Division One at that time, yes, yes. and Cal State, how did working at the Division One level prepare you for now working at or being the head coach at Laverne? Yeah. So let me back up. The, the other thing that's not on my resume is I was a women's graduate assistant at the University of Laverne for one year, and that was a tremendous experience because the, the coach there took maternity leave, and myself and a, another young lady uh, became the co-head coaches. So I was 20 three years old, just graduated college, had played at Laverne, and I had the opportunity of, of, you know, really having a lead role as an assistant um, with the women. And then I moved on to Cal Poly Pomona. Mm -hmm. You know, at all of those stops, you know, including Cal Poly Pomona, because the, the, the gentleman there, I helped him get that program going. And Greg Kamansky, he's won a national championship. I've taken from each of those coaches. And, and, and let me tell you what I really learned. At the Division One level, all of the guys I worked for were small college coaches that had worked their way up, mm -hmm. and that's and that's important. Including Greg Kamansky at Cal Poly Pomona, who was a tremendous motion coach. He had worked his way up the ladder. You know, he was at with Jim Sargent at Fresno Pacific, uh, and Jim Sargent's one of the most underrated coaches around. For those who don't know who he is, and Greg is also as well. And then going to Loyola Marymount under Steve Aggers, and I can kind of talk about each. Under Steve Aggers, I learned, you know, organization. He is one of the most organized individuals around. And I would not say that organization was my strength. Um, much like Coach Kamansky, I'm, I'm more of a feel guy. I, I feel like I have a pretty good feel for things and, and understanding, you know, from a player's perspective and, 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 and you know, approaching the game that way. Coach Aggers was tremendous with organization in, in terms of how you run a program. I mean, he left no detail undone. And those three years with him were the most, you know, some of the most formative years of, of, of my coaching career because I was able to build upon my strengths and, be, and learn how to run a college basketball program. In addition to that, he was, an, he was incredible at managing the game, okay? He was incredible. It, uh, you know, time and score situations kind of bring me back to my high school days, but how you can manage and manipulate the game. From Craig Rasmussen at Northern Colorado, uh, you know, I learned, you know, building a program that was transitioning from Division Two to Division One, and, like, you know, what are the steps and things that you do to, 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 try, to, to try to get it there? And I was able to take my experiences at Loyola Marymount, which was a complete rebuild job, and transition that into Northern Colorado. And then from, um, from, you know, Jerome Jenkins at Sacramento State, I learned how to, you know, exploit mismatches, which goes, kind of goes back to my, more of my youth playing days and, and, and really learn how to recruit 
recruit higher level athletes to get where you're trying to go. But the overall experience of Division One that was absolutely tremendous for me was all basketball all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you're a basketball junkie, all you're thinking about, you're living, sleeping, eating, and breathing basketball, right? Watching film. I can't tell you that those, you know, five years at the you know Division One level and then the two at the Division Two level. That was seven years of learning how to master your craft, right? And it's just it's film. It's watching different styles of play while trying to learn how to beat opponents. I mean, it, it was invaluable. And it wasn't until I got to Loyola Marymount. It was my. It was at the end of my second year there, going into my third year, that I really, truly understood how to be a good assistant coach. And I don't think anyone can ever be a really good head coach until you learn how to be a great assistant. Yeah. And, I, you know, uh, Coach Aggers, I mean, he got that out of me. By the time I was finishing my third year with him, I mean, I could anticipate, I could, you know, forecast things, I could see things, um, you know, on and off the floor. And, you know, that that's when I became really good at that kind of the get-it-done mentality. And working in that environment in Division One, you're forced to do it. I mean, there's nothing else you're doing. It's about your players. It's about, you know, uh, what you can do to win games, develop a program. And each day, if you're not doing something to get better, you're falling behind somewhere. So that, that, that pressure, that kind of good pressure, brings out the best and the worst in people. But for me, it was, it was invaluable. And I'm sure that all that work as an assistant coach helped you to become a head coach because at the division one level, I'm sure that coach Agris had at least three assistants, an ops guy, a a, a group of managers uh, and all types of people who worked for him and under him. But when you go to your school in Laverne, you know, I, I think that the support staff for you is much different, meaning that you probably have to do a lot of things from time to time that um, head coaches don't necessarily have to do at the higher levels, but because you've done them before, you're comfortable in them and you know the way that you want them done. Is that is that partially correct, at least? Absolutely. So so here's the great thing about, you know, and I, and I made this point earlier, is that, you know, all of those guys were small college guys. So, at you know, at, you know, Loyola, Loyola Marymount, Coach Agger's big thing was do not abuse the budget so we as assistant coaches did everything i i took even though we had an ops guy i did team travel okay uh we had managers but i swept the floor with the managers laundry i've done all of those things that i still continue to do today yeah and and coach agger's mentality was and the coach all the coaches i worked for really their mentality was hey listen you know if we're going to expect our players to do it then you know there's no job too small for us you know, that we, we shouldn't be able to do it. So whether it's, uh, you know, go on a road trip and, you know, the bus pulls up and, you know, I get underneath, I still do this to this day. I get underneath the, the bowels of the bus and I'm tossing bags out. Hey guys, let's go. Because mm-hmm. we want our players to have that mentality that, you know, we're servant leaders. We're here to help. And so, you know, I jokingly say all the time with my coaching staff, I said, Hey, you, you, you know, who does the laundry? And not, not in, and it's, well, I do. Cause I think it's important. I think it's important that the laundry gets done right. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a badge of honor. It's, Hey, I want it done right. So I value it. So, you know, now our assistants look at it and say, Hey coach, I got the laundry today or they, you know, or I'll sweep the floor. And that's the kind of mentality that was created with the guys I worked for. And I, it's been invaluable because now, um, 
the biggest thing in our leadership structure is I look at our seniors and I say, hey, you, you're the leader. You're in charge. You know, if if a, if, a, if one of our players, uh, you know, that's that's younger who hasn't been here messes up, I'm not going to them. I'm going to you. My first question is, did you tell them? Did you help them? Did you coach them? Did you love them? And so, you know, I learned that at the Division One level where everyone thinks that, you know, oh, you know, there's 17 people that are going to sweep the floor today. No. You know, when I, the first day of practice at Loyola Marymount, I'll never forget, I walk in the gym and Coach Aggers is sweeping the floor. Hmm. This is a man who's won, you know, 350, you know, games in his career. He's coaching the pros. He's coached over. And he's sweeping the floor. What do you think I'm going to do as a you know, 27-year-old that said, better sweep the floor? And yeah. by the way, you know, why are you just getting to practice here 10 minutes early? The head coach was there. For, you know, just stuff like that yeah. that I learned you know, at the division one level. So now you have your own program and let's break down here uh, several of the aspects of it. You talked a little bit about how you learned uh, how to build relationships from your high school coach. What are some of the key things that you do to build a personal relationship with your players? Wow. That's a great question. You know, the first one for me is just, I, I need to be myself. I need to be authentic and I need to understand. And I want them to understand, you know, who I am as a person that I'm a person just like they are. Okay. Um, you know, as we age through this coaching profession, you know, they, they view you differently. When I first started, I was a 30, 31 year old head coach and not much older than our players. And, you know, it was assumed that when we got in the van that we all listened to the same music and, I mean, there was a natural connection there, but I will tell you the first the first day of being a head coach, when you pull the van up and you realize you're not an assistant anymore, is when everyone piles into the assistant's van and no one wants to ride with the head coach. So that was that was that was the hardest day of my coaching career was realizing that hey, I'm not the I'm not the cool coach anymore, right? I'm not the guy that they're going to go to on that level. So where I really leaned on my ability to develop relationships with with our players is just being myself and and almost showing them. And while telling them, I tell them first and then I show them, I tell them what I'm doing. I say, Hey guys, when practice is over, this is an example. When practice is over, I'm going to crumble up this practice plan. I'm going to throw it in the trash. It's over. Anything that happened here does not affect anything that happens off the court. Mm. Okay. And so, you know, at first guys, you know, don't believe you and, but they want to see you model that they want to see that you don't carry things in from the day before. Um, and so just my authenticity, knowing who I am as a, as a human being, you know, um, the other, the other thing is, is you got to spend time with them and that, you know, that's become very difficult because, you know, there's, there's more distractions, but you spend time with them. You take them out to, to lunch, you know, um, you ask them questions. You try to, I try to go to their dorm room. I try to meet them where they're at mm -hmm. while not lowering the bar for what we expect from them. But, you know, on a human to human level, I, I just believe in communication and talking with them. Um, so you, you, you know, and that just goes back to, like I said, I had a breakfast burrito with my, my high school coach every morning at six 30. Why? You know, I'm sure there was times I annoyed him. He didn't care. I was in his office every day. Um, same with my college coach and, and so on and so forth. And so you just, you have to spend time. You have to get to know them. The other thing is I spend a lot of time asking them questions about what they want to do with their life, who they want to be, what interests them. And I just take mental notes and, and, and try to really get an understanding about who 
they are, right? Um, the other way I try to build relationships, you know, with them is just I, I'm a no judgment person. You know, I tell all of our players in the recruiting process, I said, listen, you come from, from great homes. You have your own value system. You believe in what you believe in. We believe this is a match for you coming here. And so we leave room for growth for them to explore who they are. And I say, I'm not trying to be your father. I'm here to assist you in helping you become the man that you want to become. Okay. And I look at it and I tell each and every one of them, this is the first opportunity you have to have an adult relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And so how would you like that relationship to go? Hey, you're free to come in my office anytime you want or never speak to me you know, outside of practice, that's your decision. We're going to have the type of relationship that you want to have. And that's what's kind of the start of it. And so I just, I put it out there. I want them to know that I'm open. And then I have to sit back and kind of let them realize that. And this is the hardest part for me because I'm such a, a, a lover and, you know, I'm, you know, kind of jump in with both feet kind of guy. And what I've learned is they'll do that in their own time. Right. And, and so that's kind of my approach to building a relationship getting to know who they are and, and what do they need? How can we help them get where they want to go? It's not about me. It's about them. So if I, when I, I approach everything with that manner, if that makes sense. No, it makes, it makes perfect sense. If they see you as a servant that you are and the way that you do the laundry and, and clean the floors and love on them. And then they know you're trying to basically everything that comes out of your mouth is trying to get them in a better place as a basketball player. And as a man, um, I think that that, you know, is a great formula for building relationships with kids. And, you know, then when you have that, I think you can be tough on them. You could push them. You can, you know, put them in situations where they fail, where they can pick themselves up and get better. I think that's great advice. Your college is a uh, tremendous academic university. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, your, your school holds academics to a very, very high standard, much above the university and Cal State systems, and even high amongst your uh, level and divisions. How, uh, how do you promote academics and what do you do as a staff academically to work with your players? Well, it's twofold. Uh, you know, one, if you, you recruit really good students that want to learn, um, then, then it's pretty easy, right? Mm -hmm. So one, it starts in the recruiting process with us identifying if this young man can do the work at our university. But beyond that is, does this young man have a desire to graduate? Mm -hmm. Okay. Does he have the desire? Because no matter how good a student you are, there's going to come a point in your academic career, you're going to wonder, can I do this? Okay. So do you have an ultimate desire, you know, to graduate from college? We look for people who have a passion for something. We're, I'm, I'm less concerned about what they major in, and I'm more concerned about what are they passionate about? Okay, because they're they're pat what they're passionate about that can turn into a career. Yeah, but but our school has tremendous resources for our students. Okay, uh, we have you know free tutoring and all those things, and then with the small class sizes and the professors, that intimate attention is, is something that if the right student isn't in the environment, then they struggle. And here's where they struggle. I tell everyone, listen, I can't hide you here. I can't hide you on the court with our schedule. We don't play any patsies. And in the classroom with one to nine, where are you going to hide? Yeah. 
second thing is our basketball players in our, at our university have a great reputation about being leaders and servant leaders on campus. So it's not a stigma to be a, a member of our program. There's expectations. So they have no problem picking up the phone, calling me, not because they're tattletaling, but because they care, right? And our staff takes the same approach. I proofread papers, so does my assistant coaches. We have a mentor program where we sit down. Each of us have, you know, four to five student athletes and we meet with them on a weekly basis. And, you know, it is usually not about basketball. It's usually about academics adjusting to, to life at college. Hey, how are you, you know, eating in the, you know, eating in the, eating in the cafeteria? How's life in the dorms? Are you getting along with your roommate? You know, how are you managing your time? And in terms of those life skills, helping them get off to a great start in their academic career. It's also a great time to find out about who they want to be and where they're going, setting them up for summer internships. I start talking to our incoming recruits about their internships right now. You should be doing something each summer, one, to get yourself better as a basketball player, two, to get yourself in a better place spiritually, and three, to do something that's working on your career and finding your passion. Okay, so how do we help you do that? Well, that comes through the conversations. So between the academic support that our university offers, our staff really being involved with athletics, I mean, they're, I'm sorry, they're academic endeavors. Um, you know, I, we have a sheet where I, I sit down and say, okay, what, you know, what happened in chemistry? And it's very specific. And, and we approach it in terms of trying to help them between that and then just the overall environment of, of learning at our university lends itself to our students being super successful. Now, that doesn't mean we have a bunch of 4.0 students. But, but I feel really good about the education that, that our university offers to the right individual, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and I think we're really, I think where our university and our program is really good is we're, we're really good at taking a, a young man who maybe hasn't peaked yet. He's, you know, he's a diamond in the rough and we, we polish him up, shine him up, give, you know, in, sharpen his tools and pat him on the butt and send him out in the world to do great things. I, I'm a product of that. The things I've been able to accomplish in my career and in my life started at the University of Laverne, mm -hmm. okay, with the professors and, and the community that cares. So, you know, the, I've traveled the world. I coach, I coach overseas. I've coached, I've worked with national teams. I work with professional players. I've coached Division One basketball. I'm heavily involved in, in, in the profession. But it started at the University of Laverne with people caring about me and helping me sharpen my skills to be where I'm at today. And so I work really hard. Our staff works really hard. Our university works really hard to provide that same experience to our students. It sounds like you have a – it sounds like you know what type of student, athlete that you're looking for. Um, how do all those things go into your recruiting when you look, when you go and recruit players to come play on your team? Well, yeah, pretty, you know, it's, 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 it gets to me, finding a good basketball player is the easiest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can walk any, anybody who knows a little bit about basketball can walk in the, into a gym in any gym in America and say, Hey, that young man there can play college basketball. Now they may not know what level and level a lot of times depends upon need and availability of scholarships, or what, what the need, okay. And it's regional as well. So that to me is the easy part. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about can he play basketball, okay? In fact, I don't worry about what he can't do. I look at one thing, what can he do, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that is most important to me begins with the, the, the personal 
characteristics, the person's mental makeup, their drive, their passion. What's their work ethic like? What kind of attitude do they have? Okay. Where's their ceiling there? Then does that match their ability as a basketball player? What kind of person is he? Can we help that young man? I'm looking more at those things. Can he come here and be Can he come here, thrive here, and leave here and go on to become who he wants to become? Can he fulfill both his academic endeavors and his basketball endeavors here? Can we, do we provide that environment? So basically for me, it goes back to fit. And I learned that as an assistant coach. And I think a lot of times people make the mistake of recruiting guys that the head coach can't coach. That is a disaster. And that is why the transfer rate is as high as it is. Okay. If, if, you recruited a young, whether you liked, liked him as a player or not, I always went into it and I'd say, hey, you know, Coach Kamansky likes a certain type of player. I need to find that player. Because on the days when things are hard, he's going to feel good about coaching that player. And my job as an assistant is to assist. And I'll, I, you know, I need to do whatever I need to do to make that player successful. But the head coach needs to be successful, right? I work for him, right? I work for him. I work for the players. I work for the university. So finding the right fit uh, is huge for me in recruiting. And so a lot of it, you know, a lot of it has to do with those personal characteristics. Hey, you know, I ask very odd questions in the recruiting process. Um, you know, I'll ask, a, I'll ask a coach, hey, what – how does he handle adversity? And then I'll ask the young man the same question. How does he handle success? You know, I'll ask the young man, hey, after your worst game of the season, what did you do? After the best game of your season, what did you do? If I go visit a high school campus, I'll track down a student. I'll ask them, do they know who this player is? I want to hear their feedback. Um, I'll call opposing coaches in a, in, in, in a league and ask them, hey, what is this player's attitude like? What's his court demeanor like? I want to know those things. Um, I want to show up to a high school game with a hat on and a no logo polo and find out how he interacts with his teammates. I want to just, and, and I'm doing all of that, not because, you know, I'm a detective. It's, I want to get the true picture, right? I want to know areas of strength, areas of weakness, areas of, of opportunities that we can help him grow into who he wants to be. And ultimately I'm looking at fit. Uh, I'm, I'm very flexible but I'm also very inflexible when it comes to certain things. And so knowing myself, knowing what our university offers, I think it's important that we find young men that can come to our place and they, they come here, they stay here, they leave here better than, than we found them. I love that. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, film study and that's importance in developing players on the floor. What are some things that you do in your film study, either with the team or individually with players that help them grow? So we break it down into three different things. So we have position meetings and we've kind of, you know, position meetings, meaning it could be a guy who is five uh, eleven, but he does the same thing, a guy who's six five. So we try to break people up based on skill set. Mm -hmm. We have small group meetings. I believe people can learn from other people's successes and failures. So even if I'm not playing, I can look at film and now he's hearing how I'm talking to the guy who's getting the minutes that he's trying to earn. Mm -hmm. We do it one-on-one. -on -one. And then we do it as a team. Okay, those are very, very important um, for us in terms of developing. The things that we look for is, uh, you know, it's, it's the su success spots. You know, here's what you're doing really well. 
you know, here's where you're successful. So we look at analytics. We look at a lot of different things in our program. We try to keep it very simple. But the biggest thing is we want our players to focus on what are you good at and do that. And let's try to, let's try to mask your weaknesses because your weaknesses are going to get you on the bench, okay? The fact that you want to try to shoot the three-point shot, and, and I have a phrase that I use quite often that I'll say, and this is where film study come, becomes important because it's evidence for us as coaches, right? It's, the, the, you know, the film doesn't lie. My statement is don't do things in November and December that don't bury yourself in November and December because we're going to need you in January and February. Mm -hmm. I say that to our staff, say, hey, don't give up on a kid because he didn't have a good October. We need to continue to constantly develop him, okay? But the player, it also falls on the player. If you're taking shots you shouldn't be taking in November and December, by the time you get to conference play, they've got you scouted to a T. So if you're shooting 27% from three, guess what? I can't utilize you in January and February. Yeah. Right? So mm -hmm. now that, that puts the onus on them to be doing the things they need to be doing in October, November, and December to put themselves to have success in January. And film study is part of that. And that's an opportunity for us to show them their areas of success. and some areas of weakness that they might be able to improve upon during the season, okay? Um, or maybe, you know, you know, fix something that they're struggling with so that they, they can now go work more effectively on that skill to enhance their ability to help, help the team. Where do you draw the line between a player who is unable to do that skill and he needs to work on it to get better at it and try it in the game? Like, so you say a player shoots 27% from three. Well, when do you say no more shooting threes or continue to work on your game to get the percentage up? Great question. So first off, it goes back to the offseason. It goes all the way back to the offseason program. And, you, and I sit down with each player and we have a 15-page evaluation sheet that we go through and a statistical breakdown and a presentation that we do with a slide. Slideshow with stats and looking at all these different things. So that player walks away, and there's no way he can say, I have no idea what I'm good at, no idea what I need to work on. Mm -hmm. We give them you know, one thing mentally to work on, one thing physically that they need to change about their body, and then one skill thing to help them be the player they want to be. Okay, And it's, it's very tangible. So they have the entire offseason to work on that, including what things, the things that they want to work on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now when they come back in October, I tell them, I can't wave a magic wand and change what you did or didn't do this summer. You own that. Yeah. So own it. Okay? And so it, it's not about you. It's about our team at this point. We're not here to, you know, we're not here to be, you know, trying to get you to fix your three-point shot. You had seven months to do that. You had from when the season ended in March all the way till next October to, to make that change and you, you didn't get it done. Okay. So now we've got it. Now it's about the team. So where I draw the line, it starts with me telling them the truth. Hey, you're not very good at that shot. Why are you taking it? And eventually what happens is you, as coaches, we play the percentages. So, but the interesting thing that we also do is a kid may be shooting 27% from three, but I will tell you that, We'll look inside the numbers and we'll say to that young man during, you know, October, November, and December, we'll say, hey, but you know what, John, you're shooting 27% from three, but of the three-point shots you're making, you're four for five from the right corner. 
Why don't you take those threes? Stop taking the threes from the top of the key or the left wing where you're, you know, you're one for nine, you know, whatever the, mm-hmm. the statistics mm-hmm. are, right? And so, you know, uh, that young man needs to make that decision that he wants to fulfill that role. If he doesn't, well, then you go to the next guy. Yeah. Okay, and it's not personal, you know. Um, and it works both ways. If he was shooting 45% from three and he was only playing 15 minutes, he'd be sitting in my office asking for more minutes. So we, we talk about that. We talk about how at every level of basketball that everyone is a role player. Everyone has a role to fill. And it's not up to me to determine if you value that role. I, these are the roles I value. So, you know, normally guys want to fulfill those roles because they want to play. Um, so we try to approach it that way. I don't want our players looking over at me during the game thinking, is that a good shot or bad shot? Well, we talk about shot selection all the time. Yeah. And I don't, and, and the game is not the time to be trying things, sure. right? That's practice. So I tell all of our players, hey, we as a coaching staff are charting you in practice. We're observing you in practice. If we felt like that was something you could do, then we 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 be supportive of you. So, you know, we have a young man in our program this past year who, you know, he could shoot from 30 feet. So sometimes he'd come down and he'd pull up from 30 feet. I wouldn't say anything. He was ready to shoot it, and it was in transition, and he was in a rhythm and a flow. Shoot it. Because he might not get a better look later in the possession. Um, sure. But that same shot by someone else who doesn't have that skill set, well, then I, that's not a good shot. And so we're looking at what's a good shot for you. What is best for you to help this team be successful? Because what we talk about is the team. It's not about you. It's about our team. So try to keep it in perspective. And, you know, I some some guys are going to take bad shots. And so sometimes you put a guy on, on – shot restriction i'd say okay hey listen um, we had a young man anthony white who was a tremendous score i'd look at him i'd say listen you're gonna take a bad shot i know you are you get two the third one you're coming out well now all of a sudden he's you know he's thinking about do i really want to take this shot for him now he's not thinking because he knows he's coming out he he has to make that decision what are these shots he's going to take okay and 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 with that, you it's those constant conversations about good shot or bad shot in practice. Is that a good shot or bad shot? You know, what well, good shot? Why? You know, you know, getting them to think about it. Time and score that plays a part. All of these things, and so just constant conversation and empowerment, but also understanding that basketball is a game of mistakes. I love your uh, use of analytics. A lot of times, the numbers get uh, people dismiss analytics and the numbers and they say they're getting in the way and maybe some cases they can but as coaches they're they're valuable they're so invaluable to us because you know they help us teach uh what we need the players to learn we help they help us teach uh, who can do what and when and and um and give us a better chance of winning and you can't really argue with them you know you can't argue with the film you can't argue with the numbers and your ability to use that i'm sure has enhanced your team's performance uh, on the floor um, with this whole, really this whole podcast has been about your culture and your philosophy, but I still, there might be some stuff in there that, that you haven't uncovered yet. What are some things in your culture and your program's philosophy that are the most valuable things to you and that you want people who watch your teams to be able to see and recognize, and you want your players to be able to know while they're a player and after they leave your program. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, <laughs> 
great question. It, it, you know, it's summarized basically, you know, I want them to, you know, if someone comes to watch our team play, I want them to see, and, and they can tell right away. I think anyone that walks in the gym can see when teams warm up or there's an energy, there's a feeling that you get, mm-hmm. okay, by watching teams. And you can tell how they play. I want, I want, in our culture, what's really important is love. Love is a huge thing. It's not something I take lightly. I mean, we talk about love all the time. Um, we're not the type of program that we, you know, we give the half hug and, you know, what I call the homie hug. You know, we're, we're like open the arms, you know, let the big guy get his paws on you type of program. You know, and that's, that's our and, – and our players are that way. I want our players to be close, uh, love each other. And we talk about what love does for you, you know, and – it really kind of goes back to a book I read years ago called The Season of Life about a football coach, assistant football coach. And I'm sure a lot of people have um, read this book. If they haven't, they should pick it up. It's a great read. But, you know, and it really kind of transformed my, my, my way of coaching because I was already there. And, it, and, it, and it's allowed me as I've gotten older into coaching to, to be my more authentic self, which is to tell the players I love them, tell them I love them all the time. You know, and I usually start, I love you, but, man, I don't like you right now. You know, I don't like what you did, but I love you. I'm going to stand right, right here next to you. And, and really trying to get young men to be men. And men lead with love. Okay? And breaking down those barriers, I think, is important. That brotherhood's important. Um, you know, I, I know our players say family. The only analogy I make to family in our culture is that, you know, I, I'll, I'll make a reference. I say in our family, we always tell the truth. So that's something that we talk about in our, our program, the truth. I'm always going to tell you, don't lie to me. I won't lie to you. You cannot have a relationship with someone who lies. So it's important that, and I think when you have those types of relationships amongst each other, then anything is possible. So I want people to understand that, that our players cheer for each other because they love each other. Oftentimes when people come to watch us play, they say, how do you get your bench to do that? I say, I don't, I don't get them to do that. I don't, I don't talk about it. The only thing I've ever said to our players about rooting for each other and not being selfish is, boy, what does it say about you and your character that your your teammate is out there giving us all for the program and you're so worried about yourself? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about our team. So if you really truly care about your teammate, then you don't want to throw up for a loose ball. You're going to run over and pick him up and you know, you're going to be excited about that. And vice versa, when you come out of the game and we're putting your teammate in the game, now our players say, when you're putting my brother in the game, why would you not high-five him? You're going to blow him off? What did he do to you? Right? I mean, simple human things. And I think people see that in our program because I think it's important. But I think it's important to our players that they, that they don't they – don't, they're not a bad teammate to each other, not a bad human being. Okay? Uh, that's huge. The servanthood is huge in our program. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's, I guess it's the old adage. Do you, do you see someone in trouble and help them, whether it's your teammate or a fellow, fellow student on campus or just out in the world in general? Uh, I tell our, our, we have a leadership pyramid and I, I, I borrow this from our baseball coach. And, you know, if you put a pyramid up and you put seniors at the top and then you go juniors and you go sophomores, you go freshmen, and then you invert the period and turn it upside down. And now seniors are at the bottom the seniors and the coaching staff serve everyone above them, mm-hmm. which now the freshman would be on top, the sophomore. And so that's our job. My job is to serve 
our players, our seniors, how to how am I help them grow to get to this point? And that that servant mentality is 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 huge in our program. And I think it bleeds into everything that we we're trying to get them to do. You know, and then the last thing is just, you know, what do they care about? Passion, right? What are those players, what do they as young men care about? What do we as a team care about? It changes from year to year, you know. Uh, I think every team gets in, the, in, in a classroom or a locker room and you ask them what their goals are and everyone says, win the championship. Well, okay, everyone in America is saying that. So what's going to set us apart is going to be our passion, the way that we love each other, the way we serve each other, the way we care about what we're doing, the way we care about each other, the way we, we're going to be committed to this. And so what does that look like? And that kind of ties everything together because it puts a certain onus on them and it puts an onus on me to be able to provide the group the support that they want in terms of what they're looking for. And, and then for them, it gives them a chance to be leaders and to lead our group where it needs to go. Very good. Um, a couple of things here and we'll finish. Um, professional development, what are some ways that you improve as a coach that maybe our listeners might not uh, know about and that you can shed, shed some insight on some things that help us get better? You know, <laughs> well, one is I, I, I really, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big podcast guy. No offense. Um, I, I, I've started getting, getting into it, but I'm, a, I'm an avid reader and I'm an avid pick up the phone and call. I'm an, I, I consider myself an observationist. I, you know, I might see you run a practice coach and I, and, uh, or I might see one of your teams play. And, and one of the things that I've never been afraid to do is pick up the phone and, and ask. And one of the quotes I live by is, uh, one of my mentors told me growing up, he said, you know, one of the things that makes this world really special is that people are experts. You know, you need 10,000 hours to be an expert. But, you know, if you're doing something that I find to be, you know, uh, outstanding, you know, you're probably an expert at it. You've probably been doing it. You've probably been doing it for a while, right? Mm-hmm. No matter what age you are, okay? But, you know, if you pick up the phone, I've never met anyone. It doesn't matter if it's a CEO or, or a head division one coach who I didn't know. And you pick up the phone and you ask somebody to talk about themselves, they're dying to talk to, about themselves. <laughs> and you know what? They're dying to give away their secrets. Mm-hmm. You just have to ask the right question. And so what I would do is I would prepare by looking at some film of, of, of your team, for example. And then I'm going to go in there and I might call you, cold call you and say, hey, coach, um, you know, you don't know me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Rich Reed, yada, yada, yada. I, I, you have a minute to talk about something. I watched your team play. And you guys were, you know, running this action. Can you, how do you teach that? And next thing you know, you know, 10 pages of notes later, I've, I've learned. So <laughs> I'm a big believer in that, that almost that human-to-human connection. And that's one piece of advice I would pass along to anyone in coaching. Um, you know, you, you see someone doing something that you want to do, ask them how they got there. They're dying to tell you. They're dying to tell you. Um, and I, you know, I don't think it's my good fortune that, that I've been lucky enough to talk with a lot of people. I just think that's been true, you know. Now, sometimes you stop people and not the right time, but, you know, if you ask the right questions, they'll, they'll definitely help you out. Um, you know, I do look at websites. I do look at coaching videos. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in my career trying to tinker with our system, you know, 
and I want our uh, my coaching philosophy and our system to match. So at this point in my 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 coaching career, I'm in the the, the, the tinker phase. Not that I have all the answers, but the things that were that I'm adding that I'm looking to add are how do we make what we have better? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I feel like we got a good foundation, but how do we make what we have better? And so a lot of what I'm looking for and what I look at when I'm reading or I'm looking at or listening to a podcast or, or looking on the internet is, um, you know, how do I describe it more? So ways to teach and reach, teach and reach my audience, my audiences, my audience is always 18 to 22 year olds, but how they process information has changed. So I need to make sure I'm staying current and up to date on the different tactics and techniques of how to reach them, but also staying true to the fundamentals of, of what I believe in and meshing the two. So now I'm in what I would call the, I'm really trying to steal the next great, you know, teaching tactic to help us be better while also giving credit to the person. So when you do that, you're not stealing, you're borrowing. So, um, reading, talking with other coaches, doing things like this, you know, thank you for having me on your podcast and, and just, and always constantly being in a learning mode. The other thing I think is really important, and this has really helped me. Uh, it helped me the last season that, that I, I, you know, the season before I had Camille's group, which was a great group for us. And, you know, we went to the conference tournament, had a great year. And I went overseas and I helped my buddy who was a, who was a national team head coach for El Salvador. He was the El Salvador national team head coach. And I helped him. And I was, you know, I went there. He was getting married. I was in his wedding. And I ended up staying for three months in summer. And it was the best summer of my life because what it allowed me to do was it allowed me to be an assistant again. I encourage everyone who's a head coach, find a way to go be an assistant again while keeping your head coaching job. I think that's tremendous. And what that has done for me is it's reinvigorated me. Um, because now all of a sudden I have released other responsibility of, oh, what, should I call a timeout here? You know, I'm just coaching, right? And now I'm, I'm back with the players. They see me differently, um, you know, and it's, and it's allowed me to kind of sharpen my teaching tools again. It's allowed me to learn how to connect with guys on a different level. And so that's been a big growth. So big growth moment for me. So what I do is every summer I'm trying to find someplace where I can go be an assistant, where I can go work a camp and not run my camp. I want to go work a camp. I want to learn from, from people that are doing things that are much better than me at it. And, you know, and then, you know, now that you asked, but the last thing is I, I'm a big believer in you hire people who are better than you in other areas. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, you know, I think anyone who's worked with me, I've worked for them. And um, that's how I feel like when I, when I have a staff, I'm working for them. I've got to help them get in a better position. But, you know, I want, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to know. I want to know why you think that. Because if I'm confident in what we're doing, then what does it matter what the other person thinks, right? But I'm, I'm an idea guy. I love that. So I think by combining all those things, it's helped me continue to grow as a coach, right? So I'm not just pulling from one area. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling from a lot of different areas where, you know, maybe this year I want to get better at this. Well, then let me go assist someone who does that, you know, and really learn. Um, 
So I don't know if I answered your question or, or what. No, you but answered to, it. You answered it perfectly. Um, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you if they have questions for you, if they want to reach out or contact you about various things? You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a social media guy, even though I have a Twitter. Um, they can email me at uh, rreed, so R-R-E-E-D, at laverne.edu. And, uh, yeah, I'd be happy to help anyone any way I can, uh, you know, with whatever questions they have. We have open practices. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a basketball junkie, man. I love to talk hoops. So we've had you know, many coaches come through. I don't know that I'm doing anything groundbreaking, but, uh, you know, I'm willing to share whatever materials I have, you know. The only thing I, the only thing I tell people is just make sure you give credit to the originator of what it is. It's not usually me. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what I think, Coach, that's what makes this profession so great, that while the rest of the world is – you know, not that technology is bad or social media is bad. I don't believe that. But, but, you know, the real connector is still, especially in this pandemic, we're learning that face-to-face communication is something that we really need to start valuing more in, in this society again, you know, and I think we're headed in that direction. So, uh, but in the coaching profession, that's what, that's what it is. It's still a word-of-mouth profession. It's still a connection profession. And we're all one person away from knowing the next guy. So I don't know too many professions in the world that are like that, uh, you know. Uh, but I know coaching is still that way and will probably always be that way. And so I'm, I plan on, as long as I coach, to, to, to continue to take advantage of that, you know, having the ability to, to connect with others and learning grow as we continue to do this thing called teaching and coaching. Well, Coach, thank you very much uh, for joining us today. Uh, We will all be rooting for the Laverne University Leopards uh, just as soon as you guys get back on the floor. Thanks for coming, Coach. Appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Well, that does it for the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at nicksonato at ymail.com. See you next time. Hey, are you a musician or someone with a small business and want to get more attention to your business and to your music? How about you get an ad with the MTNV Sports Podcast? By doing that, all you have to do is DM me, Nora Natish, at Nora, N-O-R-A, underscore Natish, N-A-T-I-S-H, on Instagram or Twitter, and I will help you be able to get your song on our Song of the Week list and your ad for your business on MTMV Sports Podcast episodes. Hit me up if you want that hookup.